Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.09 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the second day of August 2023, and this is episode 768 of Bitcoin and the Circle P is open for business today. Who do we have today? Well, today we've got Good Beans Coffee out of El Salvador. What do they make? <laughs> coffee. They roast coffee. They It's El Salvadoran coffee. I presume that they probably import uh, coffee from other countries that are in the area, you know, like Colombia, uh, probably some Mexican beans too. I don't know them all that well, but I have been able to sell a couple of bags of their coffee. And just because plebs need help everywhere in the world, I am giving them a spot on the Circle P. Uh, you can go get them on Noster at Good Beans. Uh, at Good Beans. You can also find them over on Twitter, and I will never refer to it as the other name, at Good Beans The. You can go to their website, thegoodbeans.com. The Good Beans is all one word. It is The Good Beans. Again, they produce coffee out of El Salvador. One of the people that have bought coffee because they heard about it off the Circle P has uh, been brewing it and says that it's excellent coffee. <coughs> They're completely satisfied with that purchase, and with that purchase, they're helping some people down there in El Salvador, and that's how you help people in El Salvador. You don't do it through NGOs. You don't do it through you know sending our government down there. You don't do it with, God forbid, interference in their freaking elections. No, 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 no. No, because that's helping the wrong people in any country. You need to help the plebs of the country. It's the citizenry that matters. That's what the Circle P is trying to do. It's trying to give regular folks that don't have a marketing budget, they don't have an advertising budget, it gives them at least a little bit of exposure. I'm not a big podcast. I get it. But people do listen and people do want things like coffee and comfrey and black soldier fly and a couple of other, oh and maple syrup. Okay, I've only got a, a four guys in the Circle P. If you want to be in the Circle P, you let me know. You DM me on Noster. That's where you're going to find me. Uh, it's at Nunya Business on Noster. My InPub for Noster to be able to find my uh, find it if you want to search through InPubs is always in the show notes. If you, for whatever reason, you're listening to this right now, uh, just go to the show notes. And if for whatever reason you can't find it in there, go to yesterday's show. You can find it in there. Just look for a long string of letters and numbers that start with InPub, N-P-U-B, one and then a shit ton of numbers and letters and that's my inpub pop that into a nostra client chances are good you'll find me give me a follow tell me what product and service that you have for uh, sale and let's see let's see if i can help i i don't know everybody needs help including me 
right? So, uh, yeah, and there was another satisfied customer uh, that was buying uh, Bocking 4 and Bocking 14 comp-free from my friend Shishi. Uh, it, that looks like he's still selling comfrey almost every time that I put him up on the circle piece. So it's not a waste of your time, but we've got other stuff going on here. Uh, we've got a downgrade of United States debt. We have some interesting words spoken by KPMG. Uh, we'll find out who the hell they are, why it matters and what they're saying. And yes, you're going to have to battle through ESG-laden crap, but this is an interesting development. We'll talk about MicroStrategy and Michael Saylor and what the hell they're up to. And then we've got some interesting situations going on in Kenya. We've got a good write-up of what the hell an ETF actually is, okay? Because a lot of people... You know, it, if you're not cover, if you're not reading about this stuff all the time, sometimes it's hard to figure out what some of the things that we talk about as Bitcoiners actually are. We'll try to fix that shit up, and then uh, we've got uh, an interesting development with Coinbase as well. So lots of stuff. Let's begin with Fitch. Let's. What the hell? Okay, first of all, before we even get into this, what the hell even is Fitch? All right. There is S&P, and then there's Moody's, and then there's Fitch. These are all rating agencies. These are the same rating agencies that were rating subprime mortgage bonds packages of crap as AAA investment instruments right before the 2008 housing collapse of those particular bonds and other uh, <laughs> derivatives and and investment instruments. So Moody's and S&P are the two largest ratings houses while Fitch comes in as the third. Okay, so they're bottom of the barrel but there's only 3 of these guys, right? And they pretty much they're the guys that give like some rating like A, AA, AAA, that kind of shit. That kind of rating, that's where this is coming from. So that's who Fitch is. And yesterday they decided that they were going to pull the fucking plug. Fitch downgrades U.S. credit rating. This is out of New York Times. Alan Rappaport and Joe Renison is writing it. Not going to read all of it because they get into how it's all the Republicans' fault. Not that I'm a diehard Republican, but just blaming any party for the misfeasance, if not malfeasance, of everybody involved in Washington, D.C. is fucking ludicrous. And it's transparent that they're reaching at straws on that side of the aisle to do anything that they can to secure their shit in this next election cycle. I don't buy it. I think it's all their fault. Nevertheless, the United States, our debt has been downgraded to double A plus rating. The long-term credit rating of the United States was downgraded on Tuesday by the Fitch Ratings Agency, which said the nation's high and growing debt burden and its Penchant for brickmanship over America's authority to borrow money has eroded confidence in its fiscal management. Fitch lowered the U.S. long-term rating to AA-plus from its top mark of AAA rating. The downgrade 
the second in America's history, came two months after the United States narrowly avoided defaulting on its debt. Lawmakers spent weeks negotiating over whether the United States, which ran up against a cap on its ability to borrow money, I think you mean print, on January the 19th, should be allowed to take on more debt to pay its bills. The standoff threatened to tip the United States into default until Congress reached a last-minute agreement in May to suspend the nation's debt ceiling. Not raise it, guys. It's suspended. That means that there's no cap on the debt ceiling right now. In either event, it allows the United States to keep borrowing, i.e. printing money. Despite the agreement, the federal government now faces the prospect of a shutdown this fall as lawmakers spar over how, where, and at what level of federal funds should be spent. The nonstop dueling over federal spending was a major factor in Fitch's decision to downgrade America's debt. Quote, The repeated debt limit political standoffs and last-minute resolutions have eroded the confidence in fiscal management. In addition, the government lacks a medium-term fiscal framework unlike most peers and has a complex budgeting process. So the, the article's much longer than that, but this is the meat and potatoes of what the hell is going on as of yesterday. Because for the second time, according to the New York Times, and God only knows if that can be believed, I'll bet you that we've had our shit downgraded more times than twice, but we'll go with it. Okay, we'll just we'll just go with it. That for the second time in the history of the United States, we've had our debt downgraded, or at least as long as we've had ratings agencies. And I don't know how long that is, but I'm thinking the 70s. Because why? Well, everything happened in 1971. Just... I, just putting that out there, okay? You may know better than me. If you do, uh, you can lambast me in a boostagram. Just do me a favor and send me some sats, all right? All right. So now, what does that mean exactly? Not much. We're, we still, we still, as the United States of America, we're still the global reserve currency so far, right? We're still the largest Technically, we're still the largest economy in the world so far because all this shit's going to change, right? Right at so as of today, a double A plus rating on our debt is sort of an it's sort of it's an embarrassment, but it's not technically lethal, right? So for the people that are out there that are saying it's that's it, it's over, they've pulled the plug. No, no. This shit can roll on for a lot longer than you can stay solvent because clown shows roll that way, motherfucker. I mean, that's just the way this shit is. So don't freak out. But this is not good. When, when Fitch, okay, when, when Fitch is going, you know what? I, we've had enough of your bickering and your bullshit. This ends now. It ends right now. We're downgrading your debt. It is sending a signal Markets are getting hammered today, including energy, including ag, and certainly including the equities markets. And metals are not doing well at all today, right? So that's sort of the backdrop of where we begin this beautiful, sunny Wednesday morning. Good morning. And speaking of Fitch and who they are, we might want to understand who the hell KPMG International Limited is simply KPMG. 
You've heard of them before, but you may not know of them. They are one of the big four accounting organizations, along with Ernst & Young, Deloitte, and PwC. All right, so there's, a, like, if you need, like, Enron, if you were Enron and you needed accounting done, right, on bankruptcy, you're calling in somebody like KPMG. <clears throat> if you're about to do, uh, you know, an IPO, on your on on your company to release stock out into the wild, and you want to make deadly sure that you've got all your you know you know exactly the numbers that are going on. You hire somebody like KPMG. Well, they've released a report about Bitcoin and its ESG stuff, for lack of a better term. Let's get into it. Okay, this is this is going to be a little dry. But it's important to know what's going on that one of the big four accounting firms has released something entitled Bitcoin's Role in the ESG Imperative, an overview of the opportunities and creative approaches that deliver value and drive trust with key stakeholders. Now, I'm going to skip the first two parts of this. Because it's sort of an introduction and talks about Bitcoin mining. All right. So we're really focused. They're really focusing in on the ESG part of Bitcoin. Not they get into the economics and stuff like that. But really, they're talking about the ESG. And that's because of energy usage by Bitcoin. And that directly stems from Bitcoin mining. So we'll start with this subheading, environmental Bitcoin's impact today and role in reducing emissions. All right, let's widen this up a little bit. I got to I got to make it a little bit bigger here. Bitcoin's environmental impact has been hotly debated for years. In particular, the energy consumption used to mine Bitcoin. Meanwhile, stakeholders, including consumers, regulators, investors and more, are focused on driving toward net zero emissions. So what's the challenge and opportunity for the Bitcoin ecosystem? On the surface, Bitcoin does not emit direct emissions, also referred to as scope one emissions, much like electric vehicles do not emit direct emissions. That's because the hardware used in mining, the ASICs, run off of electricity. Note that in some instances, Bitcoin mining operations do produce scope one emissions, such as those associated with repowering underutilized generation assets or with the use of waste gas, like natural gas flared as part of oil and gas production activities. But like electric vehicles, where its indirect emissions, referred to as scope two emissions, come from and is the primary source of debate is the energy used to produce that electricity. Bitcoin consumes approximately 110 terawatt hours of energy use per year, roughly 0.55% of global electricity use, which is equivalent to the amount of energy required to run tumble dryers. One would have expected much more electricity use given the years of criticism Bitcoin has received due to its energy consumption. Infamously, a Newsweek article back in 2017 titled Bitcoin Mining on Track to Consume All of the World's Energy by 2020. (laughs) However, the use of energy is not the primary issue, but rather the emissions associated with the production of that energy, such as those from the burning of fossil fuels. 
For comparison purposes, it's helpful to compare the emissions associated with Bitcoin's operations with the emissions of a wide range of industries and services. Four strategies to reduce carbon footprints. Oh, yay. Bitcoin mining pools worldwide split the block reward in proportion to their compute power. Since these specialized computers, ASICs, are widely available and produce Bitcoin at the same rate, regardless of location, the Bitcoin mining industry has become extremely competitive. Given this competitive landscape, miners are incentivized to streamline their operations and carefully manage their production costs. As electricity is the largest ongoing input cost-affecting operations, miners are constantly searching for the lowest cost sources of electricity, which is often tied to underutilized hydro, wind, and solar power. However, wind and solar have limitations. The sun is only out for a portion of the day, and wind output is variable, often peaking during the evening. Additionally, renewable energy facilities are incentivized to produce at their maximum capacity to deliver electricity in a manner consistent with their contractual agreements. This can leave utilities with an excess, excess supply of electricity, which, if coupled with a supply and demand mismatch, can lead to low and even negative electricity prices. Bitcoin miners can set up anywhere, including co-locating around these renewable energy sources, offering a flexible load that can work in harmony with supply and demand patterns. This ability for Bitcoin miners to dynamically flex their power consumption during periods of excess supply and or low market demand can provide additional incentive to the build-out of additional renewable energy capacity. These non-core load centers improve the economics of renewable energy projects by allowing their developers to facilitate further expansion of their operations. Former CEO of ERCOT, which operates the bulk energy system in the state of Texas, Brad Jones, stated in a recent public appearance that, quote, Bitcoin allows those renewables to earn money during those times rather than having to shut off their service or even having to pay customers to use their power. And Bitcoin mining helps to sustain those markets for renewables and drives more renewables, end quote. It's worth noting that Texas produces far more renewable energy than any other state in the country, having produced over 136 gigawatt hours of wind and solar energy in 2022. As a result, it's not surprising that Texas has become a popular destination for Bitcoin mining and represents approximately 59% of the total Bitcoin hash rate volume in the United States. The notion that Bitcoin mining can incentivize increased integration of renewable energy into the grid was highlighted in a 2022 article by, God forbid, the World Economic Forum, which stated, quote, crypto mining can be a catalyst or a market driver for new renewable energy projects and There are many remote geographic areas where the energy demand market is not large enough to support a utility-scale renewable energy site. Demand response. In addition to being a buyer of last resort, see they're even using our own language, a buyer of last resort when demand is low, Bitcoin miners have the opportunity to serve as a flexible load through participation in demand response programs that help balance electrical grids. This is accomplished by the interruptible nature of mining operations in that they can curtail their power usage at a moment's notice in order to give that power back to the grid in the event that 
demand exceeds available supply. During winter storm Uri, which took place in Texas in February of 2021, and saw temperatures get down to as low as negative 14 degrees Fahrenheit, Bitcoin miners in Texas were able to curtail their energy consumption, which resulted in approximately 1,500 megawatts being given back to the grid. Now we come to recycled heat. Bitcoin mining rigs, which are the specialized hardware devices used to perform the actual mining, create significant heat while in use. Some Bitcoin miners have begun to recycle this heat for other purposes such as heating homes, commercial buildings, greenhouses, even swimming pools. This is often accomplished by co-locating next to a building or greenhouse and tapping into the existing ductwork that allows the miners to transfer the heat being produced, allowing these facilities to leverage existing heat sources. Additionally, the use of a heat exchanger can transfer this heat directly from the mining rigs into heat pumps for swimming pools. For example, Canadian-based company Mint Green has partnered with a local energy utility company, Lonsdale Energy Corporation, to offer their proprietary digital boilers that convert heat from Bitcoin miners into sustainable heat. The company is piloting a project to heat 100 commercial and residential buildings in the city of North Vancouver. This, in turn, has made them the first city in the world to leverage the technology to heat parts of the city in an effort to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Now we come to methane reduction. One of the biggest contributors to climate change is methane, otherwise known as CH4, which is a greenhouse gas emitted from a range of sources such as coal mines, landfills, and industrial processes such as oil and gas extraction. According to the United Nations Environment Program, methane is about uh, 80 times more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide over a 20-year period and accounts for approximately 30% of global warming impacts. Rather than releasing this methane directly into the atmosphere, it's often burned, a process known as flaring, and reduces the impact of methane being released directly. A 2021 study found that capturing the potential energy of flared gas in the United States and Canada alone would be sufficient to power the entire Bitcoin network. Companies such as Crusoe Energy, who specialize in building modular data centers powered by stranded natural gas, are now partnering with oil and gas companies like Exxon to convert flared gas into electricity used for Bitcoin mining. This provides the benefit of both reducing emissions as well as creating an additional revenue stream to monetize what would have otherwise been wasted energy. Furthermore, Crusoe's Energy's ability to reduce emissions through their use of gas flaring was recently highlighted in a video produced by, God forbid, the World Economic Forum. As noted in Exhibit 1 above, landfills are a significant contributor to emissions given the immense amount of methane that they release as part of the decomposition process. Vespine Energy, who is a methane mitigation startup that mines Bitcoin at municipal landfills, uses vented methane that would otherwise have been released into the atmosphere. The United States Environmental Protection Agency estimates that landfills account for approximately 14.3% of fugitive methane emissions in the United States, many have actually argued that the EPA is underestimating this percentage as a result of an outdated approach to measure methane emissions. 
Investments by Bitcoin mining operations such as Vespin Energy are a valuable resource to enabling landfill operators to capture and convert their fugitive methane emissions into useful electricity, reducing the environmental impact of said facilities. Between Bitcoin's flexible demand load, ability to co-locate next to renewable energy sources, use of underutilized energy supply, and its ability to assist in reducing emission, Bitcoin miners can be a useful ally in the transition to more renewable energy sources and reduce emissions despite its significant energy consumption. Now we come to the social layer. We might gag a little bit, but we're going to do it. Concerns of Bitcoin use often raise or raise the risk that it helps facilitate illicit and illegal activity, given that there's no know-your-customer anti-money laundering requirements to transact in Bitcoin, and wallet addresses are pseudonymous, it seems like a perfect medium of exchange to use for nefarious purposes. But, according to a 2022 chain analysis report, illegal and illicit use of crypto only accounted for 0.24% of total transaction volume in 2022. By way of comparison, according to the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, it's estimated that between 2% and 5% of global GDP is used for money laundering alone. To go a step further, Bitcoin's role in illegal, illicit activities such as money laundering was significantly less concentrated overall relative to other assets like shitcoin number one, stablecoins, and altcoins. It can be postulated that conducting illegal activity with Bitcoin is a difficult task, given that any transfer from one wallet to another is tracked on an immutable ledger that is open and transparent to the public. The DOJ, Department of Justice, has acknowledged this on numerous occasions, stating crypto provides law enforcement with ample information about how, when, and how much cryptocurrency is being transferred. No subpoenas, warrants are required to obtain this information. Additionally, Given the KYC and AML requirements for exchanges, converting Bitcoin back into local currency can prove to be very difficult. Tackling illicit activity is an essential objective for the industry. However, various companies offer sophisticated blockchain analysis tools that can help prevent crypto assets like Bitcoin from being used in illegal or illicit activities. The Bitcoin ecosystem should engage these groups. No, we shouldn't. Assessing their overall strategy to tackle illicit activity. At the same time, There are also other opportunities to help drive value within the social pillar of ESG. Here are four examples of the public utility that Bitcoin can offer. One, payments. One of Bitcoin's benefits to society has been through its ability to replace cross-border payments via money transmitters like Western Union and MoneyGram. While many of us in the West often take these payment rails for granted, Many developing countries like the Honduras, Haiti, Jamaica, El Salvador, etc. are not so fortunate. Inbound remittances from family members living abroad make up a significant portion of gross domestic product for these countries, over 20%. Additionally, many residents of these countries who rely on these remittances oftentimes have to travel hours to the nearest location. Oh... Uh, Additionally, many residents of these countries who rely on these remittances oftentimes have to travel hours to the nearest location, pay high transaction and currency conversion fees, and are further exposed to the risk of gang members who notoriously wait outside of these money stations to target victims. 
On top of that, there are logistical challenges with how long the money can take to arrive and issues with money becoming lost in the process. Bitcoin provides the ability for these payments to take place nearly instantly so long as users have a cell phone and an internet connection and with far cheaper transaction fees. Number two, Ukraine funding. In addition to remittances, Bitcoin played a significant role in helping to raise funds for Ukraine at the start of the war with Russia. Two days into the invasion in February of 2022, Twitter accounts tied to the Ukrainian government began to solicit crypto asset donations, which ultimately resulted in nearly $70 million in funding. This allowed the Ukrainian government to take possession of these funds instantly compared to using legacy financial rails, which would have taken days, even weeks to clear and settle given the various restrictions imposed as a result of the war. The Ukrainian Deputy Digital Minister Alex Bornikov stated, quote, We're able to secure the purchase of vital items in no time at all via crypto. And what is amazing <clears throat> is that around 60% of suppliers were able to accept crypto. I didn't expect this. Bornikov further went on to conclude that the fundraising was, quote, an absolute success, not just from a standpoint of how much money had been raised, but also from the procedure, the efficiencies and speed of access of funds through crypto. Number three, access to electricity in rural Africa. It's estimated that approximately 770 million people around the globe don't have electricity. The majority of this figure comes from those living in sub-Saharan Africa. A lack of infrastructure is one of the driving forces behind this, and for electrical grids that do exist, They often fail to reach those in rural locations. It's common for these areas to rely on microgrids, which are small electrical grids that operate independently and pull energy from a variety of sources, such as wind, solar, and hydro, to provide electricity to more localized areas. However, many of these microgrids are initially funded through organizations like USAID and subsequently struggle to remain financially viable, again, due to supply and demand mismatches. Bitcoin miners are able to co-locate within these microgrids and allow the operators to monetize what would otherwise be wasted energy. This, in turn, has provided more consistent and less expensive electricity to residents by increasing the useful load factors on the local grid and decreasing the cost per kilowatt hour by increasing total sales. A company called Gridless has been at the forefront of this opportunity and working in rural areas of Kenya and Malawi to provide modular mining operations that help stabilize these grids being used and, in turn, creating a balanced grid and steady stream of electricity to local residents at reduced rates. One estimate showing a 30% reduction in the cost of power. (coughs) Five, financial inclusion. The World Bank, yay, estimates that nearly 1.4 billion people around the world don't have access to financial services like bank accounts. In Afghanistan, where women are often prevented from having bank accounts at all, Roya Maboub, an Afghan entrepreneur, technologist, and women's rights activist, started Citadel Software and went on to become the first female tech CEO in Afghanistan. She began paying many of her female employees in Bitcoin, many of which did not have bank accounts. This approach was preferred as the money could not be taken by their husbands or other family members. And in 2016, one of Roya's employees, 
Leah Farzan, began to receive threats from the Taliban and ultimately decided to sell her possessions and flee the country. Given the long and treacherous journey, many of the belongings she took, including cash, were all stolen through various contacts that were relied upon to get her out of the country. However, she was able to successfully transfer, transport her Bitcoin given the ease at which she could hide her seed phrase, the 12-word phrase used to spend Bitcoin. Without Bitcoin, she would have lost everything she owned. These experience, along with Roya's role in standing up the, up the, the Digital Citizens Fund, would earn Roya a spot in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People, and that was in 2013, ladies and gentlemen. That was a long time ago she got that. She was forward-looking. I'm, I'm pausing here to, to say do not, do not, do not sleep on Roya's contributions to this space. That She got it, and she got it early. Continuing, the ability to escape authoritative and corrupt government regimes has pro- proven to be difficult over the years due to a variety of restrictions imposed, such as capital controls, limits of, you know, of withdrawals, and etc., etc. This has been evident in countries like North Korea, Venezuela, Russia, etc. These restrictions are often put in place to keep their citizens from using foreign currencies and to keep them using the failed currencies of those countries. In the first quarter of 2021, following a what was it? A crashing a crashing Turkish lira chain analysis reported that crypto asset transaction volume in Turkey ranked fourth globally. This correlation was evidence of crypto assets being an exit ramp to hyperinflation that would otherwise erode people's savings and purchase power. Now we come to the big G, the governance part. But we're going to do that after we run the numbers. All right, futures and commodities brought to you by CNBC. Oh, yes, energy, tanking, everything's tanking. Everything's tanking because of Fitch, I guess. I don't know, but West Texas Intermediate down two and a half points, $79.28 a barrel. Brent North Sea down two and a third, $82.95. Natural gas down three and a half, $2.40 or 47 cents a thousand and and a gallon of gas is two dollars and 77 cents after almost a three and a half point decline gold down a quarter to 1973 and 30 cents silver down almost two points platinum down just over one copper down 1.6 percent and palladium down almost nothing 0.01 percent the only winners in ag today is coffee and chocolate coffee up one and a half points biggest loser today is going to be cotton at 2.2 percent to the downside and everything else is in the freaking red live cattle also in the red 0.62 percent to the downside lean hogs down 1.66 percent feeder cattle down two-thirds of a point the dow is down almost a full point the s&p is down one and a quarter the nasdaq is down just over two points and the s&p mini down a little bit over one point itself and Bitcoin, even after great news yesterday, which we'll get into, uh, is back down from like 29.6 to 
to $29,110 because the bears just won't fucking let go. Now, average transaction value is 0.76 BTC. Median transaction value, 0.003 BTC, or just right at 100 bucks. Block time's low, 9 minutes, 48 seconds. 0.13 BTC taken in fees on a per-block basis in 187 Overall, in the last 24-hour period, and with a 3.76% rise in hash rate, we're up to 381.8 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, as usual, and it is 7.5 United States pennies. We got a $567.1 billion market cap. That's back to 4.35% of gold's market cap. You can get 15.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are. 19,445,911.83 of and 4,685 and a quarter of those are in the Lightning Network valued at just over $135 million. We got 16,337 nodes, 68,822 payment channels, and 72% of all of it, actually 72.7% of all of it's being run over Tor, over to mempool.space, where we are looking at square in the face of 120 blocks carrying 322,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at a high priority transaction value of 13 Satoshis per V-byte, low priority transactions going for 12, and anything under 4.78 Satoshis per V-byte being purged from mempools around the world, baby. We've got a 376.7 exahash per second hash rate according to mempool.space, so the disparity continues. I am now number 16 on the fountain charts. Thank you, Dubrovko, for your 1,000 sats trying to get me back up into the number 10 spot. He says, you're mistaken. Two people took me up on the offer and were rewarded thusly. Yeah, I just didn't see the Satoshis being given to you there, pal. But I probably just read the whole damn thing wrong. You know me, man. I get distracted by shit. Uh, Dubrovko also says FTX being brought back to life is a license to, again, use people's money for whatever purpose the authority wants to deploy it. First, it is an intelligence test. Yeah, no shit. Pies, 100 Satoshis. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Hey, turns out I got two Bitcoiners that are within, you know, like the 50 mile radius of me. And for me, coming from Texas, 50 miles is, I, I, I sneeze at 50 miles. People up here in Washington, though, man, they get kind of freaked out about a five hour drive to Seattle. And I'm like snickering. I'm like, dude. And you're also pissed off about 85 degree temperatures. Dude. Call me in a century after you've lived 50 years in 111 degree summers and everywhere you go is at least seven hours in Texas. Now, on with this Bitcoin ESG report. We are on the governance part of the ESG part of this report. And it says, and this again is KPMG giving their report on what they think Bitcoin is and how it impacts or fits into the ESG narrative of which we all think is bullshit. However, lots of people don't think it's bullshit. They're still buying into the bullshit. So it is what it is. One of Bitcoin's most prominent features is its decentralization, which removes the need of a trusted intermediary. 
This is accomplished via a network of thousands of participants, or nodes, who each run the same version of the Bitcoin software. This process is similar to how TCP IP protocol allows individuals around the globe to communicate seamlessly with each other over the internet. However, any changes to the protocol would adversely impact our ability to send and receive content via the internet. Similarly, Bitcoin systems system ugh, Bitcoin's system rules such as its 21 million coin limit difficulty adjustment time block size etc are built into the code used to manage the network if a participant attempts to modify these rules they would be effectively running a different version of bitcoin or an entirely different protocol and in turn would be unable to participate or transact on the network and as a result bitcoin's robust and highly redundant governance is an inherent feature of its design no individual or even group of individuals can make changes to the protocol's rules without splitting or forking off from the main network. Evidence of these features were best demonstrated in 2015 during what is now colloquially known as the block size wars. During eh, this period, a number of individuals and entities such as exchanges, miners, etc. thought... They thought that Bitcoin's future success was contingent on increasing its block size to 8 megabytes in order to allow for more transaction throughput, which would help scale the network as user adoption increased. However, given that no one has control over its protocol, Bitcoin's rules were never modified. Instead, changes to the block size were made, which resulted in a hard fork and an entirely new protocol asset called Bitcoin Cash. As of this writing, BCH, or Bitcoin Cash, has failed to gain any market adoption compared to Bitcoin as evidenced by Bitcoin's market cap of approximately $584 billion and Bitcoin Cash's market cap of 2.5. That's right. Additionally, the transactional data that resides within the Bitcoin ledger, or the blockchain, is immutable and secured via cryptography. Given that each network participant maintains a local copy of all transactional data, changing any of the transaction details locally would only impact that user's copy of the data. As it is nearly impossible to make changes across the wider network of nodes once a transaction is finalized, details can readily be cross-checked and verified across a range of nodes, ensuring the fidelity of the data and providing a high degree of confidence in the overall system. Bitcoin's governance is built into the system by design through rules that are coded into the protocol. This results in a system that cannot be abused or misused by those in power or even individuals with ulterior motives due to its decentralization. And now we come to the big conclusion. Drum roll, please. In closing, Bitcoin appears to provide a number of benefits across an ESG framework. Throughout its short history, new and innovative ways of leveraging the network and its native asset continue to emerge, such as helping to stabilize energy grids, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and even assist with providing sustainable heat to commercial and residential properties. Time will tell what Bitcoin's role may look like in the transition to renewable energy and how it may serve as a financial tool to those in authoritative regimes or those experiencing significant inflation. So this was written by a guy named, <clears throat> two, two gentlemen, <clears throat> both of KPMG, Brian Consalvo and Kirk Karen. Two gentlemen of which names I have never heard. 
and yet they get almost everything right. This was, you're talking about a legacy financial institution, for lack of a better term to use, right? It's an auditing company. If they, they know financials, they, that's what they do. They're, they're, they're an auditing firm. That, that's, they, they do this kind of shit. They're part of the big four. They've been around massive companies. They are in the mix, is what I'm saying, when it comes to the legacy financial systems, institutions, the Federal Reserve, the other big massive companies like Apple and Google. They're there. They know what those people know. And here they are. We got two of the guys from KPMG basically saying, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Bitcoin's great. It does all of this good stuff. It has a complete fit totally within the realm of ESG. Even if we think, me and you both think ESG is bullshit. I get it. But the rest of the world doesn't yet. And therefore, they're going to be looking at this report and go, oh, well, shit. I thought B, I thought Bitcoin was bad. I thought it was totally like uproarious when it came to ESG and and was flew in the face of all you know quality controls that we're trying to implement on the evil that is carbon, which is my actual favorite element of the periodic table. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Carbon with its four bonds is one of the most amazing building blocks that the universe has ladies and gentlemen it is it does all kinds of neat stuff plus you'd be dead without it so you got that going for you too i'm just saying we need to be looking at what's going on well i mean what what the hell have we covered so far okay let's just go back and talk about some of the things because we we had the break we did the weather report we did all that shit u.s got downgraded to double a plus we've got this whole thing with KPMG coming out with a very credible, a well-researched, and a, and a report that literally sings the praises of Bitcoin that we've been trying to do as mere plebs for over a decade. I don't care who gets listened to as long as who it is saying the things being listened to are actually factually correct. And these two people are. So even though you may hate the fact that it's an ESG report and cringed all the way through it, it's still good for Bitcoin. I, I hate to say it. I, you know, and if you want to give me some shit about it, just make sure you pay me in Satoshis and you do it through a boostagram. But across that backdrop, what else is going on? Well, Coindesk, Nick Baker. Bitcoin whale, Michael Saylor, might buy a lot more BTC. MicroStrategy, the software developer that's amassed a giant Bitcoin stash in recent years, may raise up to $750 million by selling yet more stock and plans to use the proceeds to buy more Bitcoin, among other things. The announcement was made in a U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission filing late Tuesday. That was yesterday. Bitcoin's price rose noticeably in the aftermath, approaching 29800 from its low at around 29200 And remember, we're back under that number right now because the bears have decided to not shit in the woods and they've come out to dig through our garbage so we're having to deal with them on our street get your guns ready chairman michael saylor has gotten microstrategy heavily involved with bitcoin buying billions of dollars since the pandemic and he's raised money to do so the old-fashioned way 
selling more of the publicly traded company's equities and bonds. This adds to that strategy. The company owned 152,800 Bitcoin as of July the 31st, which are now worth about $4.5 billion. Quote, we intend to use the net proceeds from this stock and equity offering for general corporate purposes, including the acquisition of Bitcoin and working capital and subject to market conditions already issued bonds, according to MicroStrategy's Tuesday's filing. Okay, so that's on the horizon is a $750 million sale by MicroStrategy of their own stocks and bonds in order to raise liquid capital, some of which, not all of which, will be used to purchase Bitcoin. The others will actually, the other monies will actually go to, you know, operating expenses and overhead and shit like that, right? But we're not done with MicroStrategy yet. Because according to, I guess, the very same SEC filing, MicroStrategy added 467 BTC to its balance sheet in July, according to Catherine Ross, writing for BlockWorks. Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy released earnings on Tuesday after the bell. The stock is up 200% year-to-date and is inching closer to a 52-week high of $478, with its Tuesday closing price of 434 Investors reacted somewhat negatively to the earnings, sending the stock down slightly after hours. The company owns 152,800 Bitcoin as of July 31st, having added 467 BTC more than the 152,333 BTC that it reported at the end of the month of June. According to Andrew Kang, MicroStrategy's chief financial officer, the addition in the second quarter of 12,333 Bitcoin being the largest increase in a single quarter since quarter two of 2021. In total, the company spent $4.53 billion, marking a price of 29,672 per Bitcoin. Bitcoin sits at around $29,000 currently, up over 27% the past year. However, the company included an impairment charge stating that operating expenses include impairment losses on the company's digital assets, which were $24.1 million during the second quarter of this year, compared to $917.8 million in the second quarter of 2022. So you got two things here. We found out yesterday that they bought way more Bitcoin. And then we found out in the same filing that they're going to purchase even more. Now, here's my thing about it. There's, there's, I got two issues going on with Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy. One, I don't like the idea of somebody owning that much Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is for enemies. I can't do anything about it. If Mike's got the cash, he can have the Bitcoin because somebody somewhere is going to sell it to him. All right. But still, it gives me, it makes me a little nervous. I don't know what his plans are. I mean, I, I go by what he says and honestly, also by what he does, because all he's really done is just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin, except for that one time that he sold a little bit of it. And I think what he was doing was taking a tax break, took the tax deferral that he would have used to pay taxes with and then bought Bitcoin again. 
So in some ways, it doesn't make sense, but uh, I'm sure he's got his reasons. He's the billionaire with multiple yachts, not me, so I'm just going to defer to him. The second thing that I got a problem with is that every single fucking time this dude buys Bitcoin, he ends up with a new average price of all the Bitcoin that he bought. And then what happens? The price of Bitcoin rides below that price. It's almost as if somebody doesn't like Michael Saylor so much that they're doing everything that they can to keep him in the red on those purchases. And it's been happening for years. Every single time he says, hey, we bought more Bitcoin. All of a sudden, the price of Bitcoin goes up and then it goes down to rest at below an average of his total Bitcoin purchases starting in, what was it, the summer of 2020 or 2019, I think. I... I want to say it was actually before the pandemic, uh, but I, I'm not going to worry about that much. But you see what I'm saying? How does that work? Because it's always it's always below his average purchase price of the totality of his Bitcoin holdings for MicroStrategy. I don't get it. I mean, I'm not looking for it to go up to a million dollars tomorrow, but... This just, it's either coincidence or somebody somewhere really doesn't like Mike. I'm probably being, I don't know, I'm probably being a little paranoid, but let's get into a little bit of music. No, I'm not going to play you a song from Wavelake. I'm going to tell you about Stemster or Steamster. I think it's called Stemster. Create, connect, and collaborate on music via Noster. Stemster is a Nostra-powered app for music producers and artists to connect, collaborate, and share music. No bullshit. Bitcoin has some of the details. Quote, we designed at Stemster. You can find them on Nostra at S-T-E-M-S-T-R, Stemster, to be the place where music can be freely downloaded, remixed, and shared with others. We've been in early access for the last few months, and we've seen some amazing things happen that have absolutely blown us away. If you're someone who's always wanted to sing, rap, recite poetry, or just add some fun sounds to your favorite music, this is the place to do it. Remix what you love on Stemster and share your beautiful talents with the world. Stemster, hold on, I'm getting distracted by something shiny. Okay, making sure I'm not blown up. Stemster launched with a micro subscriptions model called Stemster SharePass. Quote, Introducing the Stemster SharePass, a daily, weekly, or monthly pass that unlocks unlimited sharing of music, commenting, and reposting on Stemster. If you're interested in this, you need to go to stemster.app. That is S-T-E-M-S-T-R dot app. Check it out. You can sign in clearly with your Noster keys. And like me, if you're using GitAlby, the browser extension on desktop, it's two clicks to log into this thing. No email, no phone number, no credit card, nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. And if you want to pay for the service, instead of just listening, you actually want to be able to interact and you're going to pay for the service. It's like, I think that they're just doing it with a paid relay is honestly what it says. But like you'll get one day for a thousand sats. You can just try it out for like almost a quarter. Seven days, 5,000 Satoshis. If you want it for a full month or a full 30 days, 13,000 Satoshis. And according to right around the prices that we're talking about, that's about, I don't know, three, $3.75 to 4 bucks to three fifty. You never know what the hell you're going to pay. Why? Because it's Bitcoin. At least it's not WorldCoin. 
because they're in trouble in Kenya already. Well, they're not really in trouble, but eh, we'll get into it. Um, Reuters has this one. Kenya suspends crypto project world coin over safety concerns. Hmm. Nairobi. Kenya's interior ministry said on Wednesday that it had suspended the local activities of cryptocurrency project WorldCoin while government agencies assess potential risks to public safety. Relatively relevant security, financial services, and data protection agencies have commenced inquiries and investigations to establish the authenticity and legality of the aforesaid activities, says Interior Minister Kuthure Kindiki. Uh, WorldCoin did not immediately respond to a request for comment, of course. Kindiki said that the government was concerned with WorldCoin's activities, and agencies would probe how it intends to use the data it gathers. He said action would be taken against anyone who engages with its activities without elaborating further. Local media have reported that more more than 350,000 Kenyans have signed up for WorldCoin as of Tuesday in exchange for free cryptocurrency tokens worth around $49 U.S. or 7,000 Kenyan shillings. Since its launch, people around the world, including Kenya, Germany, Spain, and France, have been flocking to registration sites to get their eyes scanned by a shiny spherical orb. The project has come under scrutiny in Brittany, Germany, and France. So there you go. Kenya said, fuck it. But I don't expect that to last. I expect Sam Altman to bribe the government of Kenya to let them go ahead and basically enslave the Kenyan population. If you're listening to me in Kenya, I do have some African listeners. If you're listening to me from Kenya, A, please stay away from this shit. You do not want to give up your biometry to anyone. If you can get away with it, I wouldn't even give it up to the doctors. But, you know, if you get an MRI, eh, that's biometry. But you sure as shit don't want to give it to frickin' Sam Altman, fried guy, whatever the dude from WorldCoin is. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Because I guarantee you he's going to throw all that iris data into whatever his version of a visual chat GPT AI art structure is. And somehow or another... Somehow or another, it's going to be used nefariously. You don't want your eyeballs anywhere close to this thing. If you have friends and family in Kenya, and you live in Kenya, or you are an expat of Kenya, please reach out to your family and friends and tell them not to do this. Just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin, because maybe, just maybe, we'll get an ETF for it. ETF analyst raises the spot Bitcoin ETF approval chances in the United States to 65% Cointelegraph prescient jaw. The chances of approval of a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund in the United States has now increased to 65% from a mere 1% just two months ago. Bloomberg ETF analyst Eric Balkunis and James Seifert said in a recent statement that the chances of approval for a Bitcoin ETF have increased significantly over the past month, owing to various new developments around the crypto market and the refiling of ETF applications by the likes of BlackRock. I don't think BlackRock has actually refiled. I think they caused the refiling of several other funds that wanted to do it. But as far as I know, this is BlackRock's first foray into a spot Bitcoin ETF filing. Seifert noted 
that a lot will depend on the timing of grayscale case dates. And their recent boost in approval will depend on Grayscale's victory over the SEC in federal court. He added that Grayscale's win against the SEC could, could, could set trigger, a trigger, a series of simultaneous approval for all the spot Bitcoin ETF filings by the end of the fourth quarter later this year. Well, that would be interesting. Seyfert believes that the BlackRock and Coinbase surveillance sharing agreement drastically changed the spot Bitcoin ETF analysis, not to mention the Ripple case, which is less important but still relevant. We'll update our views and opinions as new information comes to light. Yo, shit, man, new shit's come to light, bro. We don't know. We'll have to find out. But what, you know, honestly, what is a Bitcoin ETF? Do we even know what one is? Well, let's see if Bitcoin Magazine could help us out and definitively describe what an ETF even is, because that's the name of the article. What is a Bitcoin ETF? This is basically written by the staff of Bitcoin Magazine. ETFs are designed to track the performance of a particular index, commodity, or asset class. This means that when you invest in an ETF, you are essentially buying a basket of securities or commodities that represent the underlying index or asset. For example, if you invest in an ETF that tracks the S&P 500 index, you will own a proportional share of the companies included in that index. One of the key advantages of ETFs is their ability to be traded on a stock exchange throughout the day, just like individual stocks. This is in contrast to traditional mutual funds, which are bought and sold at the end of the trading day at the price determined by the asset's net value asset. The ability to trade ETFs throughout the day provides investors with flexibility and the opportunity to react quickly to market movements. ETFs have gained significant popularity among both individual and institutional investors due to their unique features and benefits. One of the main attractions of ETFs is their low cost. Compared to traditional mutual funds, ETFs generally have lower expense ratios, which means investors can keep more of their investment returns. Additionally, ETFs are known for their tax efficiency. Because of the way they are structured, ETFs typically generate fewer capital gains distributions compared to mutual funds, resulting in potential tax savings for investors. Another advantage of ETFs is their flexibility. With ETFs, investors can easily buy or sell shares on the stock exchange, allowing for quick and efficient portfolio adjustments. This flexibility is particularly valuable for investors who want to implement specific investment strategies or make tactical asset allocation changes. Furthermore, ETFs offer investors the opportunity to diversify their portfolios across different asset classes, sectors, or regions. And by investing in a single ETF, investors can gain exposure to a wide range of securities, reducing the risk associated with individual stocks or bonds. This diversification helps to spread risk and potentially enhance returns. ETFs have revolutionized the investment landscape by providing investors with a cost-effective, tax-efficient, and flexible way to gain exposure to various assets. Whether you're a seasoned investor looking to diversify your portfolio or a beginner seeking an entry point into the market, ETFs can be a valuable tool for achieving your investment goals. So here are the types of Bitcoin ETFs. The Bitcoin spot ETFs 
hold Bitcoin. This means that for every share of the ETF that you buy, there is a corresponding amount of Bitcoin held in a secure custodian. Investors who hold shares of a physically backed Bitcoin ETF indirectly own a portion of the underlying Bitcoin. One of the main concerns is the security of the Bitcoin held by the custodian. Therefore, it is crucial for the custodian to have robust security measures in place to protect the underlying asset. Then we come to the Bitcoin futures ETFs because those do not hold any Bitcoin. Instead, they are futures contracts which derive their value from the price of Bitcoin. No, I'm going to pause there. Pausing there. Instead, they are futures contracts which derive their value. A Bitcoin futures ETF is a derivative of Bitcoin. The derivative is the price of Bitcoin. You have exposure to the price, not to Bitcoin. There's a difference and you need to get it through your head. Anyway, this allows investors to gain exposure to Bitcoin without directly owning the digital currency. Since the ETF holds futures contracts rather than physical Bitcoin, investors can easily buy and sell shares on traditional exchanges. This provides liquidity and flexibility for investors who want to take advantage of short-term price movements. However, it is important to note that futures-based ETFs may not provide the same level of direct exposure to Bitcoin as physically-backed ETFs. The value of the futures contracts may not perfectly track the price of Bitcoin, and there can be some discrepancies due to factors such as market sentiment and trading volume. Additionally, the use of futures contracts introduces counterparty risk as investors are exposed to the financial stability of the futures exchange itself. There are Bitcoin mining ETFs and they allow investors to have exposure to the profits of Bitcoin mining companies without needing to buy the stocks of each company individually. Mining is the process through which new Bitcoin is released into circulation and records and the records of Bitcoin transactions are cryptographically hashed into blocks. The value of the ETF would go up or down based on the aggregate performance of the companies it's tracking. The main idea behind such an ETF is to allow investors to benefit from the growth of the Bitcoin mining industry while also expediting sector investment and validate the industry's efforts so far. There are short Bitcoin ETFs, and they try to profit from a decline in the value of Bitcoin. Again, another derivative. Shorting is a financial strategy where an investor borrows a security or an asset like Bitcoin and then sells it, expecting the price to fall. The investor then plans to buy the security back at a lower price and return it to the lender, keeping the difference as profit. A Bitcoin short ETF uses various financial instruments like derivatives and futures contracts to create the effect of shorting Bitcoin, providing investors with profits if the price of Bitcoin decreases. We also have long Bitcoin ETFs, and they're the opposite of the short Bitcoin ETFs. These try to profit from an increase in the value of Bitcoin. Going long is a financial strategy where an investor holds an asset or a futures contract where the holder is obligated to buy or sell an underlying asset at a predetermined and agreed upon price. A Bitcoin long ETF uses various financial instruments like derivatives and futures contracts to create the effect of going long Bitcoin. 
providing investors with profits if the price of Bitcoin increases. Essentially, all spot Bitcoin ETFs can be considered long Bitcoin ETFs, though a specifically long Bitcoin ETF might also trade in derivatives or futures contracts as well. Why do you need one? Well, while there are several ways to invest in Bitcoin, such as buying the, you know, currency directly on a cryptocurrency exchange or investing in Bitcoin related companies, the introduction of a Bitcoin ETF offers several differentiating features. First, it provides a regulated and accessible way for investors to gain exposure to Bitcoin. This is particularly appealing to investors who are unfamiliar or uncomfortable with navigating the intricacies of cryptocurrency exchanges. ETFs are subject to regulatory oversight, providing investors with a level of protection and transparency. Second, a Bitcoin ETF allows investors to gain exposure to Bitcoin without the need to directly hold the digital currency. You dumbass. This eliminates the complexities and security risks associated with storing and safeguarding Bitcoin. Additionally, ETFs provide investors with the ability to buy and sell shares, enhancing liquidity and reducing transaction costs. Thirdly, many investors are not allowed to hold Bitcoin outright. They can do so via regulated financial offerings only, such as ETFs. Pausing, this third one is actually the most important one. When people say, we need a Bitcoin ETF, and people like me say, no, we don't. Well, some people do. Like investment vehicles from your companies, like, I don't know, 401k plan, they can't buy and hold Bitcoin directly because it seems because they don't know how to custody it to the point that they can convince the SEC that all the Bitcoin that they hold will be there year over year because their security practices are so good. Therefore, they have to have a third party do it for them. And even then, that shit would have to be approved. They're not even going to do that. That's too much work for a 401k plan. Man, they're doing good just to make sure they don't lose their ass on Exxon, right? They're not going to go through this shit. That's why you you can't buy it in your 401k if you're working for like a university, like a state institution, generally speaking, is not going to be doing this, right? So they have what? They have to wait until an ETF comes out. They can buy the ETF because they're damn sure that they can get a custodian to securely hold an ETF because they are, they already do that. They already have those custodians. That's what their 401k is. It's a basket of shit held by somebody else or them to the point that they've convinced the Securities and Exchange Commission that they're not going to fuck that up. But they can't do that with Bitcoin. Yet almost, well, I was about to say almost everyone. That's not true. I'll bet you there's enough people that are annoying the shit out of their HR departments and their you know 401k guys saying, when are you going to get me exposure to Bitcoin? To the point that now major 401ks are like, we got to get into this shit. And they're going to have to wait until a Bitcoin ETF. That's why people are saying we need a Bitcoin, especially a spot Bitcoin ETF. A 401k is not going to buy a short Bitcoin ETF. They don't even really want a futures ETF because it's, honestly, that's just too much work. You got to settle that shit at the end of every month. You do that shit 12 times a year on something with this volatility. Fuck that. No, 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 no. You need something that actually holds the asset. That's what the 401k guys are waiting for. 
If BlackRock gets it in, then seven more or six more will probably fall out of the out of the sky almost immediately after. It'll be like a rainstorm. Then they can do it. And they will. Now, let's finish this off. How does it work? When an investor buys shares of a Bitcoin ETFs, they are essentially buying a piece of the fund, which holds Bitcoin as the underlying asset. We're talking about the spot Bitcoin ETF. The fund is responsible for managing the Bitcoin holdings and tracking its performance. The price of the ETF share is determined by the market demand and the net asset value or NAV of the underlying Bitcoin holdings. The fund provider secures the Bitcoin against theft or hacking attempts. The fund provider also handles the buying and selling of Bitcoin based on the demand of the ETF shares and the creation and redemption process. Investors can buy and sell shares of the Bitcoin ETF on a stock exchange, just like any other publicly traded security. This provides them with the flexibility to enter and exit their positions at any time throughout the trading day. There have been many types of Bitcoin ETFs, and they've been in the works for several years. The SEC has yet to approve any of the spot Bitcoin ETF applications, but has approved future Bitcoin ETFs. And some firms who were unable to get approval for a spot Bitcoin ETF created closed-end funds, or rather Bitcoin trusts, instead. And since June of 2023, a significant number of spot ETFs from BlackRock and other funds have been submitted, and it's expected that a Bitcoin spot ETF will be approved relatively soon. Now, here's the history of the international ETFs, those that are not based in the United States. While the investors in the United States have not had the option to trade a spot Bitcoin ETF project and only recently has been able to get Bitcoin exposure with futures ETFs, investors in other countries have a handful of financial products that give them this option. The world's first Bitcoin spot ETF is listed on the Bermuda Stock Exchange, launched September 2020, or well, September of 2020. Canada then approved its first Bitcoin ETF, the Purpose Bitcoin ETF, and it was launched in February of 2021. The Evolve Bitcoin ETF was approved in Canada shortly thereafter and launched in February of 2021. Europe's first ETF proposed by Jacobi Asset Management, it's ready to launch, but no official date and time. The pros and cons. The pros. This allows for access and exposure to Bitcoin to companies and individuals alike, which cannot or will not purchase the asset itself. It eliminates the complexities and security risks of directly holding Bitcoin. It enhances liquidity and reduces transaction costs. It's regulated and transparent investment vehicles, and they are attractive to many investors. Here's the cons. Regulatory authorities have expressed concerns regarding market manipulation and investor protection, but they always do. uh, Futures-based ETFs enable market manipulation, and they always have. Investors are reliant on the funds, providers, management, and security measures. This introduces, yay, counterparty risk, which Bitcoin is designed to prevent when held in self-custody. So should you buy a Bitcoin ETF? Well, fuck, I guess it depends, bro. When considering whether to invest in a Bitcoin ETF, it's essential to assess your investment goals, risk tolerance, and understanding of the market. As with any investment, it's recommended that you conduct thorough research and seek professional financial advice before making any investment decisions. That's a general CYA statement. 
Investing in Bitcoin ETFs can provide a way to gain exposure to the potential upside of Bitcoin's price movements without directly holding the digital currency, however. It is important to note that the value of Bitcoin is highly volatile and investing in Bitcoin ETFs involves risks that should be, you know, (laughs) carefully considered. So how do you choose the right Bitcoin ETF to you or for you? Well, when selecting a Bitcoin ETF, consider the following. Regulatory approval. Check if the ETF has received regulatory approval and is listed on a reputable exchange. Understand whether the ETF is backed by physical Bitcoin or simple Bitcoin futures contracts. Assess the management fees and expenses associated with the ETF in question. Evaluate the trading volume and liquidity of the ETF shares. Consider the reputation and track record of the fund provider. By carefully considering these factors, you can choose a Bitcoin ETF that aligns with your investment objectives and risk tolerance. In other words, don't go buy Bob's Backyard Bitcoin Spot ETF. Okay? In fact, don't buy any of these things. If you're listening to me, you have the intelligence to buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin all by yourself without anybody holding your hand or wiping your butt. Just do that. And let the other idiots pump your bags for you. Now, finally, investing in a Bitcoin ETF has tax implications. It is crucial to understand those tax regulations in your jurisdiction. The sale or redemption of Bitcoin ETF shares may result in capital gains or losses subject to applicable tax rules. And additionally, the distribution of any income earned by Bitcoin ETFs may also be subject to taxation. It's important to keep accurate records of transactions and consult with a tax professional to understand the implications of investing in a Bitcoin ETF. Overall, a Bitcoin ETF offers investors a regulated and convenient way to gain exposure to Bitcoin. However, it's crucial to thoroughly assess the risks and rewards associated with investing in this emerging asset class by understanding the mechanics of a Bitcoin ETF and conducting proper due diligence. Investors can make informed decisions to navigate the evolving world of cryptocurrencies. So there you go. If I think that that's as good of an explanation, at least a surface explanation of what the hell an ETF versus what the hell a Bitcoin ETF even is, what they do, why they exist, than I've ever heard. Yes, you can get deeper down that rabbit hole if you so choose, but here's my financial advice. Buy Bitcoin yourself. Buy the asset. Transfer it to a wallet that you control and nobody else controls unless you want to go into a multi-sig collaborative custody with someone like Unchained Capital. I trust those guys. But it's still, just because it's collaborative custody doesn't mean that you're not a custody person in that relationship and that you have final say. You just need somebody to help you out if you lose a set of keys. Okay, that's what collaborative custody kind of is. And then hold it and buy more and hold that and then buy more and hold that. And every time you send it to your your wallet or your collaborative custody wallet, spin up a new wallet address from those private keys so that you're not constantly hitting the same damn wallet address. It's all going to you because you own the private keys and those private keys are generating wallet for every single deposit that you make and then hold it. And then buy more and hold that and then buy more and hold that and buy more and hold that and be your own boss, be your own custody, be your own bank. That's why we had Bitcoin in the first place. 
the ETF, especially the spot Bitcoin ETF, is for institutions. It's not really for you as an individual retail guy. But if you have like an H&R, not H&R Block, what I'm saying, Charles Schwab, or if they're even still around, or Wells Fargo Investment House. You know, if you're at that scale of retail, then they would be able to buy Bitcoin for you but you wouldn't have custody of the Bitcoin because it would be in the Bitcoin ETF and the custody would be a third party and you're like 12 steps removed from being able to get your Bitcoin out. Honestly, at retail, unless you're a guy that's managing a family office or the 401k for like, I don't know, Washington State University or some shit like that or Texas A&M or some shit like that, then you don't need a spot Bitcoin ETF. You don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need to worry about it. But if you're wondering what all the hubbub is about, I hope that answered your questions. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. I got a hammer lodged in my esophagus and the doctors can't remove it. They say it's the worst case of a Thor throat that they've ever seen. Wow, that one was one of the best ones that I've read so far, at least in a, at least in quite a little while, a Thor throat. That actually made me laugh, as well as cringe, as a good dad joke should do. All right, guys. I am going to be out of pocket starting Friday, and I probably won't be back until Wednesday. Something like that, we're going to go up to Seattle and have some have some more summer fun before this son of a bitch leaves us all together and we get back into uh, winter, or well, at least fall, which is, honestly, my favorite season of the year. Yeah, I know, you're like going, but you like growing shit. It should be spring. I know, spring's my second favorite, and then winter is my third favorite. Summer is my least favorite. Why? Because it's hot, and it doesn't rain. And I like the rain, and I don't like it cold, or I don't like it hot. So therefore, uh, I like fall. I, it's my favorite, absolute favorite time of the year. I'm looking forward to it, but not before I, you know, choke out a few other good times for the summer. Um, remember uh, to go over to uh, was it Good Beans, the, the Good Beans Coffee? Yeah, the Good Beans. Nope, nope. Actually, it's. Uh, their website is thegoodbeans.com and Good Beans Coffee on Noster. Their NPUB will be in the show notes. Make sure you go get some of their coffee. I've been told that it's wonderful. I've got so much coffee in my cabinet right now. I, if I order any more coffee, uh, I think my wife might shoot me. Literally. I know it's poison bean juice to all the rest of you guys that are out there that are going, ew, coffee, but I get it. Hey, at least I eat meat. And speaking of meat, uh, make sure that you say howdy to my good friend, Texas Slim. Just reach out to him and uh, his buddy June on Noster Twitter and just say hi. Let him know that what they're doing is valuable. And if you're not sure what the hell Texas Slim is or the Beef Initiative is, man, you got some splaining to do, brother. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.